Amazing. Man, just a great time of worship this morning. I hope that you enjoyed that time as much as I did. Uh, we are at one service this summer. We're doing 10 at 10. So 10 weeks at 10 a.m. And, and to be quite honest, we're kind of packed in here. So if you if you see a family of, of five come in, just tell them that they got to they gotta split. You know, they got to flank the sanctuary. So so tell them that. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's quite tight. But I uh, thank you for enduring this this tightness with us. We just uh, felt like it was so important for us as a church this summer that, that we don't get many opportunities like this, that, that these moments, we may not be able to do this again because, because of how, how much um, God's been adding to our church. And man, if you're a guest this morning, we, we are excited that you're here. Welcome. And and we just hope that you uh, that you feel like you can uh, belong in this place, just like Austin said. And so, so that's what we do a minute meet and greet. If you're wondering why we go around meet and greet and all that stuff, um, believe it or not, our Ignite team, those who serve at Luminous Church, those who've gone through the plugged in class and serve on an Ignite team and and welcome and do kids and all that stuff, we we we. We train each other to do the 10-10-10 rule. So, so the 10-10-10 rule, because, because how many of you know if, if it's not church, if it doesn't have rules? Just kidding. So, so it's a 10, 10, 10 encouragement that, that 10 minutes before service, 10 minutes after service, so if somebody's 10 feet away from you, that, that they would say hi to you. And so if we have failed at our job I'm so sorry. I just repent on behalf of your pastor. In fact, this is kind of why I'm saying it, because I'm hoping that our Ignite team hears this encouragement, as I forgot to encourage them during our rally this morning. But, man, we really hope that you are enjoying your time here. Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3 is where we'll be this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3. Um, we're supposed to be on Nehemiah chapter 3. We are supposed to be there. I'm not systematic. I, I love systematic theology. I love doctrine. I, I understand we need it. Uh, but, but rarely have I gone through a book chapter by chapter. And here's why. Because it takes a long time. It takes a while. Like, I mean, we're still in chapter two. I'm like, can we just move on? I'm, I'm getting a little ADD. We need to move. But Nehemiah is just so amazing. I mean, it is, it is this narrative. It is this biography, if you will, this memoir of, of Nehemiah who's talking about this, this life that he's lived and, and what he has done. And, and, and there's some humility because he's writing this thing. So you're seeing some humility from him. Um, you're seeing some of these things. You're seeing how he, he had a reverence towards God, how in chapter 1 he actually, when he got a burden, that he, was, he moved to a place of reverence before God. Okay, God, I have a burden, but I'm not moving without you. How many of you know that's true? Like we have a burden, but let's not move ahead of God. Let's not move move ahead of him without him blessing it, without waiting on him, getting some perspective, and, and we'll see that. And so Nehemiah is, I would say, encouraging to you is that it is prescriptive as much as it is descriptive. And so what do I mean by that is, is that, that it's not just a description of history, but it's a prescription. How many of you, you know, get, have ever received a prescription for something, you know? Something that you should, should actively take if you want it to make a difference in your body and immune system. And, and this is what we believe in Nehemiah is that it's prescriptive. And how could something historical be prescriptive? And it's like, Ben, you're already hyper. Just calm down. <laughs> How can something be so prescriptive, right? How, how can it be that way when it was a time in history? Because we believe the Bible is alive and active. And if you were to look at these principles and you just pull out each one. Okay, he has a burden and he hears from the Lord. 
Well, I see that throughout Scripture. Even Jesus got a burden, and when he had a burden, went for 40 days to be with the Father. And although he was tempted, he, he was with the Lord. We saw this in everyday life of Jesus, right? As he was waking up every day and he was moving every day, he would wake up, right? And he would hear from the Lord before he moved out and, and accomplished what God wanted him to accomplish. So, so, so we see Nehemiah doing the same thing. So how many of you know it's pre-scripture? of that there are some applications for you and I want to tell you the Bible is alive and active and it is active and you will forever be changed by this book it's not because of the letters not because of the words but because of the power of the authorship of the book the Holy Spirit and how he authored this book to be applied to you in everyday living and I'm telling you what if this is the manuscript of life, if it is the love letter to me, okay, son, here's what I can instruct you in. Read this book, obey it, and your life will be amazing. If that is the prescription and that is the challenge, why do we not read it as often as we should? Oh, pastor, you don't know me. I read that thing every day. Judgy pastor. No, 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 no. What I mean is, like, like I go through seasons of reading and, and being real intense with the word, but I go through seasons where, where it's not, not life to me, and I'm the pastor. So I, I'm making an assumption, and it could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I, I'm sorry. But I'm going to assume that sometimes we don't read the word as though it's life to our bones every day, life to our soul. That it is what will guide us. It is the roadmap. Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll get there in a moment, but Nehemiah got a burden. His burden was for a city that was in rubble. It was completely destroyed. And he looked at the people without protection, and he looked how the people were behaving, and they were okay that the temple had been destroyed. They were okay that the walls were down. They were okay with the life that they were living in. And something inside of him, this, this justice inside of him that all of us have, rose up inside of him, and he said, this is not okay. And isn't that so true of us today? We're seeing ungodly things in our culture we're seeing things happen in our culture, and it puts something inside of us like, that's not okay. It's not okay that, that someone gets shot running away. Like, I understand that it's, it, it is tough, and, and there's challenges, and it's hard to discern that, but, but there's something going on. There's a disparity that, that African Americans get shot twice as much as, as Anglo Americans. There's a disparity there, and, and I'm not going to wish to navigate or politicize, but what I'm saying is there's something going on, and it's just not okay. There's not okay that, that 40 million babies have been destroyed before they even took their first breath out of the womb. That, 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 there's something not okay with that. Like, like, it's not okay. And so I, I'm not going to put the burden inside of you. I'm just saying these are things that, that me personally say that this, there's something going on. And for you, there's something going on that God has put inside of you, a godly burden. And I don't know what it is. For some of you, I was talking to Rebecca this morning, and she's looking for godly community, and she's new to Luminous, and I just want community. And how many of you know it's not okay if the church isn't doing life with one another? 
Like, that's what we're called to do. It's what Jesus proclaimed, that, that you would go make disciples, but then you would be in community. So it's not about just preaching the gospel and that the lost would be saved. If the lost get saved and have no home, then what's the point? Like, if they don't have a place to lay their head and they don't have a shoulder to cry on, they don't have somebody to, to mourn with and rejoice with, right? It's both. I mean, like, there, there's a burden, right? There's a burden inside of all of us. I'm so intense this morning. <laughs> it's normally funny and lighthearted. We're going to show a video called Serve the World. Serve the World is about bringing 500 campus mis missionaries or, or future church planners across from the world to come to our world conference next year in 2019. Our world conference is with our every nation churches. That's the group of family, our tribe that we do life with. Everybody has a tribe, you know. Maybe you uh, grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention. Maybe you grew up Assembly of God. Maybe you grew up in uh, Ark Church, Church of the Highlands, or, or something like that. Our tribe is every nation, and, and we believe in, in church planning, campus ministry, world missions, and social justice. That's why, that's why we are so passionate about it. We believe in that, and we believe that Jesus cared about those things too. And so that's kind of what our rally cry is and and we do a conference that is supposed to for one week infuse the vision and passion of Jesus inside of you that you would not be okay with status quo and that, that you would be empowered to go and do what God has called you to do it's an amazing conference all of you are invited next year in Orlando but before we go we want to bring some people over here who may not have the opportunity We've committed in North America because we have a little more resources maybe than some third world countries across the globe that have a heart for missions and a heart for church planning. We believe that if we bring them to this conference, that they'll get something that they couldn't get otherwise, and it will infuse some gospel hope inside of them to share the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be a part of. Take a look at this video real quick. Hey family, I am so encouraged about a moment that's going to take place in 2019 right here in Orlando, Florida, the World Conference. And we here have an opportunity to serve the world. I remember being a part of a World Conference for the first time. It was transformational. See, there was a time in my life where the word leader would not have been in my vocabulary. I remember being about eight years of age I lived in the inner city of Washington, D.C., and I distinctly remember a gentleman in a suit walking by on the opposite side of the street. I remember thinking to myself, I wish that man who seemed to have his life together, I wanted him to just cross the street and just say something to me that would cause me to become more. Years would go by, and then a man by the name of Pastor Brett Fuller, in a manner of speaking, he crossed the street into my life, and I remember being with him one World Conference. We were standing on chairs, balloons of the world were being bounced all over the room, confetti was falling from the ceiling, and we were jumping up and down. And I heard Pastor Brett call my name, and he looked at me and he said, remember this moment. This is our moment to partner together and to cross the street and bring 500 international leaders from around the world to a moment that leads to a movement. What's it gonna take? $500,000. That's $1,000 to bring one leader. What that does, it covers the cost of their hotel and their registration. 
They are believing God for the transportation. They're believing God that they're going to have the faith to move from there to here. But when they're here, we want to be able to say, welcome. It's our pleasure, our privilege to serve you. Thank you for joining with us to serve the world. Love you. It's great. Pastor Donnell is just incredible. And he articulated that really well for us. So I want to encourage everybody, if Lumen is your church home, would you just grab out an offering envelope? Would you grab out an offering envelope? And Pastor, we don't pass a plate. What are you doing? You're making me uncomfortable. But they're on the chair behind you. If you don't have an offering envelope, then you can open the Luminous Church app or you can text the word luminous to 77977. And, and so this is, as we talked about last Sunday, we were going to take an offering today to try to bring three missionaries over to, to the, this conference. And so I, w I want to just encourage you, we're going to do this together and you're not pressured to give right now. I just want you to hold the offering envelope to know that that's how you do it. You you put that money in that envelope, you write serve the world on it, and then you drop it in one of the boxes in the back before you leave today. And and so you can do that today. You can go home and pray about it. You don't have to do it today. You are more than willing to, but if you want to pray about it, sit on it for a couple weeks. Is this something that I should partake in? Is this something that I should do? Then you can take that home, pray about it, and bring it back. Or you can give through um, our website or text messaging and you scroll down and there's a there's a drop menu that says serve the world and so you can give right there and so I, I want to um, just encourage us whatever is in your heart I, I really believe that God's called us to bring three people um, internationally over here to this conference and I really we're going to show some testimonies of how it changed some young campus ministers coming to a world conference in the next several weeks but but will you just pray with me as you're holding out an envelope and you're just believing God for what you um, is, is being put and deposited in your heart. Father, we thank you for serve the world, God. I thank you that the kingdom of God is bigger than Luminous Church and the Ridge Shopping Center. And God, I thank you, God, that you have called us to plant churches and campus ministries and to do missions um, so that the gospel would go forth and that so people would be brought into the kingdom. And, and Lord, I thank you for every tribe, tongue, and language that is in the kingdom. And so, Lord, I just pray that that you right now would drop a number in our heart, a number in our mind. This is the number you need to give. This is what I want you to give. And whatever it is, if it's startling to you, then I would encourage you to pray about it. Lord, we thank you for these gifts. Would you use them greatly in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, we'll be in Nehemiah, but I want to read this. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock or pebble. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth you will be, will be permitted in heaven. I want to encourage you that God's plan A was to plant the church through people. God's plan A was that the kingdom of God would advance 
through the local church and, and through the people of God coming together in community, rich community, and glorifying him and being rich and encouraging one another. That was God's plan. And he told Peter that, that you're going to be a part of this plan as an apostle, starting it off to, to start planting churches. And, and this is what Nehemiah knew is that God bless, won't bless what you won't do. God won't bless what you won't do. And you're looking at me like, well, God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. For some reason, God uses humanity. He has used a bunch of flawed, jacked up people like myself to advance the kingdom, to plant churches and campus ministries. And Nehemiah knew this. He had a burden, and he was supposed to go build the wall. But how many know if Nehemiah didn't go, the wall wouldn't be built? How many of you know that Joseph, when, when he had Jesus in Bethlehem, if he didn't leave, if he wasn't obedient to that moment, if he didn't do, Jesus, the Messiah, would have been killed. There, there, there's this partnership between us where, where God has called us to partner with him, to move forward, and, and we had a responsibility and an obedience. Now, I would say that God is absolutely irresistible, and when God speaks, it's hard to deny his speaking, right? If God asks you to do something, it's hard to tell God no, isn't it? it it's really hard. Jonah tried to tell him no a lot. And what happened? It just was wet. He got a little wet in the process, you know? And so some of us are wet in the process. But Nehemiah decided, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. And so God began to equip Nehemiah, and, and whatever mission, whatever plan, whatever God's called you to, God will equip you to do it. God will equip you. He'll give you the resources. So Nehemiah is going back, 800 miles back to Jerusalem to build a wall, and he needed some resources. How many of you know you need some resources to build a wall? So he asked the king, and he said, I need some timber. Can I go to your forest and have some free timber? And the king said yes, right, because God just opens doors when, when you're walking in his plan and obedience. So he takes timber and he takes these letters. And in Nehemiah 2.9 it says this. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servants heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gates and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gates and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
And I told them to the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I don't know if they did some push-ups or what they did. Maybe it was a stress ball. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab leader of it heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. That, that here we have Nehemiah. He goes to build the, the gates, the, the gates and the wall. And he has all the resources he needs. He has the timber. He has the letters of authority to make right passage. And there he is. And he has the resources of the people. The people just didn't realize it quite yet, did they? You see, the, what were the type of people in Jerusalem? Some of them were perfume makers, you know. How many know that perfume makers probably have some expertise on hanging some gates, you know. Some of them, some of them were perfume makers. A lot of them were inexperienced builders. In fact, I would say if they were more experienced builders, then maybe their gate or their wall would have been completed already. But they just didn't have it inside of them. And, and how many of you know that when God speaks that and he calls the church to do something, that he's going to equip the church to do it? How many of you know that's true? Like go into all the nation, into all the world, proclaim the good news of Jesus. How am I supposed to do that? I have no idea. Well, Jesus gives them the resources in Acts 1. He fills them with power with the Holy Spirit. He brings them in gospel community. Miracles, signs, and wonders are happening. He gives them strategy. He, he gets a hold of a guy named Paul. Paul who had some leadership on him. Paul who knew a thing about strategy and knew a thing about, about theology. He, he grabs Paul and says, Paul, I need you. I need you to help build my church. Isn't that amazing? Like Paul's going to, Jesus is going to grab whoever he needs to help build his church. And it's called the body. And when we're working together, the wall comes about. We see the gates start to take shape, don't we? And, and we, we're in two places, right? So, so when we hear something from God, we either move ahead of God. Anybody ever moved ahead of God? Like, you know, you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to do that, but you just start making it happen, opening doors, start doing all this thing. And, and you look back and you're like, where's God? You know, like, you left him way over there. You weren't spending any time with God. You heard one word and you went. That's, that's the ADD uh, activator personality. That's Ben Chapman. Do it all the time. <laughs> and then you have the, the laid back person. The laid back person who just sits there. God says, hey, I want you to go across the street. Like Donnell talked about. I want you to talk to somebody about the gospel. And like, oh, man. Well, you know, Lord, maybe if he takes off his coat and swings it over his right shoulder, then I will go over there and have a conversation. And he never does it. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, ah, oh, next one. Next one. Oh, you see a mom and a baby in the stroller, and you're like, well, maybe if she parks that stroller over there and takes the baby out and soothes the baby so the baby's no longer crying, then I will go across the street. And that doesn't happen. You're like, oh. Right? So, so like, you move ahead of God, and sometimes you wait too long. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I'll never forget. I was working at Black Eyed Pea. 
Black Eyed Pea, man. I was a buster dishwasher, a glorified position, to say the least. I was there trying to hustle and make a living, and, and I'll never forget there was this guy working with me, and, and his knee was hurting, and he was limping around, and he was talking about his knee, and I was watching him, and, and, and at this time, you got to understand, like, like, you know, there's seasons, right, where the gospel is everything, and then there's seasons where, like, you aren't reading your Bible. And this was a season where God was everything, and I was moving, and I was active, and I was a junior in high school. So, you know, nothing could stop me because I had testosterone and the Holy Spirit. So I was ready to do something. And I was like, I felt like it dropped in my heart, go pray for that knee. Go pray for him. I was like, okay, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. All right, I'm working. I'm working. Okay, before when everybody else leaves, I'm going to do it because I don't want to embarrass him. And I'll never forget, he left, and I never prayed for his knee, and I felt like, man, I missed a God moment. I waited too long. You know, love, and God loves when you're obedient. He loves when you're obedient. In fact, he, he loves obedience over sacrifice. He loves obedience. He loves you to, to be loyal to him, to hear his voice, to bring you in trust. Do you know that's what it, the kingdom is about, to trust Jesus fully? To trust him fully so that when he speaks to you, like, yes, dad, I trust you. You know, there's nothing to make a parent more frustrated when you ask your kid to do something, they don't do it. Like, seriously, do it. I've been teaching Benson to jump off the step. We're on step number one. I'm like, come on, bud. Come on. He's like, he's not going anywhere, you know. He's just, I'm like, come on, buddy. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. He's not doing it. And then he walks down. I'm like, seriously, what are you doing? I mean, how are we supposed to be? I'm making you into a man. Come on, do this. Trust me, I'll catch you. I'm so heartbroken. How many fathers been heartbroken by a moment like that? And then later, you know, on his terms, on his time, you know, he decided to jump way off, and I'm not even ready. <laughs> I didn't ask you to jump then. This is, this is true, but, but, but here's the thing is, Nehemiah was being obedient. He was sitting there. He was waiting for the Lord. And then when it was that moment before the king, he asked, right, and he gets blessed, and he goes, and and, and, and not only does he ask for that, but he asks for the, the king's horsemen, uh, the king's entourage. Like, hey, yo, will you send me some backup, some bodyguards? Will you go with me? And the king says, sure, I'll send you horsemen. I'll send you all that. This is fascinating, the difference between Nehemiah and Ezra really quickly. Because Ezra was a priest and he went to rebuild the temple. And Ezra said, God's going to build this. God's going to do this. He's going to make it happen in Ezra 8.20. And, and because he was ashamed to ask the king for, for troops and protection, he's like, oh, no. I, I said God's going to do this. And so now, now I can't ask for horsemen. I love it because, because you have Nehemiah asked for horsemen and Ezra doesn't ask for horsemen. And, and that's so true to life, right? It's like you have the, the natural and the supernatural, right? You, you have those people who just practically, they've been hanging out with the king. They're the cupbearer. They know the king. They're friends. Everything's about strategy. That's why Nehemiah is used as a top book for leadership because it's the strategy. This is, this is like amazing. Here's the business plan, the business model. We can do this. And Ezra is like supernatural. He's like, Man, I just got to trust God. I got fast, got to pray. You know, he's like so priestly, supernatural. How many of you find that true? Like some of you are just logical people. Like, no, this is what we need to do. We need to build a church, pastor. Let's go ask everybody for money. We'll build a church. And then, and then you got the pastor, let's just pray, man. Let's just pray that the God would bring the money, you know, at the right time. You know, both, neither one's right or wrong. Does that make sense? 
Like God called you something and he's wired you a certain way. And some of you have been walking naturally, right? And it's very much God because it's still supernatural. And some of you have been walking spiritually and it's still God because it's still supernatural. I love this contrast. It's kind of like, you know, the gifts of the Father and the gifts of the Spirit. Have you heard of these? So, the, so did you know the Holy Spirit gives you gifts? We read about that in 1 Corinthians 13. Here's spirits to prophesy, you know, spirits of tongues, spirits of healing, spirits of miracles. Like, like the Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to impart into you all these supernatural gifts, right? And, and we read about that and we see, we see Paul and Peter and the apostles walking in this way. And then we see the gifts of the Father in Romans 12. Leadership, administration, all these things. Like, What? Like, that doesn't seem like Holy Spirit, supernatural. Do you know that God gave you gifts when he knitted you together in your mother's womb? Like he's like, I don't know how you're made, Octavia. You're real analytical. I'm going to make you be a CPA. Ready? And he's just working you. You know, he gives you that leadership. He gives you the gifts of the Father, gifts of the Spirit. So we see both these, right? We see Nehemiah and Ezra. I love that. I love that because God uses both and we can celebrate both. So we have to be obedient. And get a God plan and move in God's ways. In verse 19 and 20, we see that there's a bunch of naysayers. A bunch of naysayers coming around. And we're just going to touch a little bit because we're going to see these guys come. And they're going to mess with everybody lots of times. And they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to naysay against the God dream that, that God gave Nehemiah. Any of you ever had a naysayer when you get on fire for Jesus? Like, you get on fire for Jesus, God, God starts moving, you start speaking, you start articulating, you start telling your family about Jesus, and they know your past. You know, they know you. Like, no, no, dude, not you, man. You used to party and you used to, you know, puff it. You know, you used to do all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what they used to say. I don't know. <laughs> you used to do all that stuff, man. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before you quit following Jesus, just a matter of time, let that dream die. Yeah, that guy, he's passionate about everything, you know. He's passionate. Just give him time. And you're just waiting for them to fail. You're waiting for them to mess up. And, and you even mock them. You even jeer them a little bit. You even say, ha, there's no way. No way you could change your family tree of addiction and alcoholism. No way you could change your family tree of, of drug addicts. No way you can change your family tree. That, that Didn't your dad... Like, isn't this his sixth marriage? Like, I mean, do you really think this marriage is going to last? All these naysayers come against you. Have you found that to be true in your life? When you get on fire for God and God starts doing something and you have these people who jeer you, who make fun of you? I want to tell you that Nehemiah is just a glimpse, a picture of Jesus. Just a picture of Jesus, how, how Jesus left his kingdom. You see, Nehemiah was in the kingdom. He was around the king. He, he got everything the king had. He had the same wine, the same food, the same clothes. I mean, maybe not the same clothes, but, you know, like the off-brand, the hand-me-downs. You know, he had everything. You know, it was amazing. And he left that kingdom to go to a people who were desolate, who were vulnerable, who had been attacked. He left those people. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus left his kingdom, his comfort, all that he had. He was around the Father. He had complete fellowship. He had everything that he needs. He's completely satisfied, and yet, yet he left that kingdom because he saw us. It was a sheep without a shepherd, running around, lost, 
alone, afraid, broken, dismantled, no purpose, no calling, no hope. Jesus said, I got to go. I got to go. I need to help them. And the walls that I need to rebuild is not a walls around an earthly temple, but a walls around a spiritual temple. I need to call this man out. I need to build him up and I need to dwell inside of him. And I need to empower him and give him a new name and make him a new creation. That's what I need to do. That's what Jesus did. It's what he's called to do. And so as we read Nehemiah, we see that it is descriptive but prescriptive that for you and me, we can do this. And he unifies us. And chapter 3 is all about the unity of people coming together to accomplish God's work. And so your homework this week is to read chapter 3. Because I can't pronounce any of the names. And so you'll make fun of me the whole time. And it'll disqualify the message that Jesus wants to preach today. Disqualifies the message that the Holy Spirit wants to drop in your heart. So I'm not going to try to do that. You go read chapter 3 and you try it on your own. If you need help, listen to the Bible app. Just hit play. It pronounces everything. I tried to memorize it. I just couldn't. In chapter 3, we see this, this building of unity, this People coming together completely unified under one mission and one vision. And it's such a glimpse and such a picture of how gospel community should be that we would be completely unified to accomplish God's work, his perfect plan. And everything wants to divide that. Everything. The enemy, all he wants to do is divide this. I'll divide it on racial lines. I'll divide it on socioeconomical lines. I'll divide it on political lines. I'll divide it on, on you know, whatever lines, awkward lines, right, because I'm awkward. I'll divide it on anything possible. But this is what God's called us to, and it is so, so rich. But for this to work, you have to get your hands dirty. Let me see your hands. Okay, show your neighbor your hands. Are they dirty or are they clean? Are they dirty hands? Go ahead and judge. Go ahead and judge. Look at their fingernails. If you want to know, just look at their fingernails. Oh, that's some pretty hands. You've been manicured up. You haven't been doing anything. I'm going to tell you spiritually, for us to grow in gospel community, spiritually we have to get our hands dirty. Spiritually, we're going to be on the phone with people late at night, crying with them, lack of sleep. And Friday morning, 15 guys showed up for our, for our study, our study for, to get people free of sexual addiction. And 15 men showed up to get their hands dirty. It was amazing. I was so thankful to see all those men. And it was rich and it was beautiful. And, and so I'm just telling you, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. Some of you make perfume. You don't know how to get dirty. It's going to take us getting dirty. It's going to take us working together and being there for one another. As you read in chapter 3, a couple of observations for you as you read this week. Is that, that not only was it everyone together, 
But oftentimes he saw the work began at home. The work began at home. They were close to home because the greatest work to accomplish in gospel community is when you're at home. Like when you're around your neighbors and your coworkers and the people that you see every day, that the, the people that are easy to get to, that's where it began. The work was also voluntary. Nobody got paid. There was no paid positions because Luminous is out of money. Just kidding. There's no paid position. It was just free. Freely I've received. Freely I give. What have you received from God? What was the measure of grace that was paid for for you, that was given to you, and are you freely giving it? And the last observation that we see as you read this, Jesus knows your name. You see, he could have said a bunch of people, this tribe and this tribe, or he could have said, oh, this part of the wall was built by the people of that wall. But he used names. He used names, specific names at each gates, at each place in the wall, because God cares about you and your name. And you are one of seven billion people who doesn't feel like much when you look at the data. But he knows you. He created you. He loves you. That's what's so amazing about God. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I just, I thank you for your church. I thank you for luminous. God, I know we're a people trying to figure out how to build. We don't necessarily have the right strategy yet. We don't necessarily do it well all the time. But God, I pray that you would help us be a people who look like Jesus and do it like you did it. And where we fell, would there just be an amazing amount of forgiveness, God, when we say things out of our mouth because we're an extrovert? We did it without thinking. God, would you wipe those moments that we would get start overs and do overs and that would not hinder us and put fear inside of us from continually reaching out and loving your church, your people. And as we read Nehemiah 3, would you drop these things inside of our heart? Would it be so rich? In Jesus' name, amen.